Hi, welcome to Unleash Ministries podcast, where Pastor Nathan Sanford will guide us through daily Bible studies, prophetic revelations, and life-changing encounters with the Father's love. Join us for near daily content as we dive into the Word of God. Hey everybody, um, back to finish Hebrews chapter 12. If you listened last week, if you haven't listened to last week, you definitely got to listen to last week. I know some of you told me like, I just binge these things, you know, one after the other. So, um, you know, that's, that's cool. So you'll be totally caught up. But if you're listening to this, and this is like the first one you listen to, you're definitely going to want to listen to at least last week to get caught up on this. Cause I'm not going to talk a lot about last week, just a little bit, just to know, I'm going to reiterate this. And again, if you don't agree with this point, listen to last week's and maybe it will. And that is that at least in the in the chapter 12 of Hebrews, it seems that the discipline of the Lord is is basically coming or seen as the attack from unbelievers to get you to get off track of Jesus. I mean, that's what it seems like. Um, and again, I, I get that from the context where Hebrews chapter 12, 3 says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Um, again, it's like the, the whole idea is that you will endure too. And he says, you've not yet resisted in verse four to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Um, and then he talks about the exhortation of discipline and don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Again, quoting Proverbs 12 and making it somewhat more severe, or at least it sounds a lot more severe, like he scourges every son who he receives. Um, and somehow, you know, people, I've heard this preached in bizarro ways where it's like, yep, the Lord, every time you got track at all, he gets the belt and beats you to a living pulp. It's like, I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying here. <laughs> and again, I have an exposition of that whole thing, but I just want you to think of discipline in a completely different way. Um, and the way that sometimes with discipline of the Lord actually comes is when you're seeking God with all you are. And he and you actually receive persecution from parents that don't understand you, non-believers, from Pharisee believers, from make-believers, from lukewarm believers. It's like this persecution could come from lots of places, and they're all designed to get your focus off of Jesus or to somehow dumb down who he is in your life and who he is in reality in your heart and the place he has in your heart posture towards him. So anyway... um. Let's go ahead and continue. So he says, it is for discipline, verse 7, Hebrews 12, verse 7, that you endure. You see what I mean? Endure what? It's like you're in, you're not enduring the discipline. You're endure, like it's for discipline that you endure. So I really want you to see what this is saying. Again, I ended this last week with this, but I'll reiterate it again. It's like you're enduring being persecuted by other people and suffering for the sake of the gospel. And that is discipline. That's why it's like, it is for discipline that you endure that. So then he goes on and says, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And again, I think, again, the context of this discipline isn't correcting you when you're off track. It's like negative things coming when you're on track. Like, actually, that's part of the discipline. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children 
and not sons. So it's really interesting that he's basically, you know, like saying part of the discipline of the Lord is like that. In other words, if he were to protect you from every persecution that comes your way, it's like that wouldn't be being a good father. So this is really interesting. It's like the Lord says, all right, I'm going to allow you to, to suffer persecution at the hands of other people as you're trying to seek me. And that's part of my discipline. And he's like, that's me treating you as a son. It's almost like he says, if I were to completely protect you from every persecution, so you suffered nothing in your journey towards seeking me, that that would actually be treating you like you're illegitimate, like you're not a, a, a child of mine. So there's some kind of power in the sense of seeking Jesus, following him, living righteously, going completely after him in every way, and suffering for it. That's an aspect of discipline. So I just want you to hear that and understand that. Then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Verse 9, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? So in other words, just saying like, look, we're going to bow down to, to the Father God, and our, our earthly fathers tried to discipline us, and we respected them, but we need to be have way more respect for the Father and trusting him as we totally seek Jesus and go after him. That's what he's saying. No matter what we see, it's like, are we going to trust the Father and be subject to whatever his discipline might look like um, out of love? But it's again, it's not necessarily you're being punished for doing something wrong. Um, it's, or, you know, God is smacking you around because you have somehow got off track. Although again, I've, I've, I know that Holy Spirit convicts, shows us our sin and we come before him in humility and repentance and ask forgiveness. That's definitely a thing. And some people can be stubborn and walk in broken areas. And oftentimes you see people suffer greatly. I don't know if that will even be the, the discipline of the Lord. Sometimes that's just like people reaping what they sow, you know, until they finally get the point. Um, but you know, sometimes people need a two by four to the head to be like, ah, you know, I need to, I'm totally going the wrong way. But all I'm saying is most people aren't that. And most people don't need that And the context of Hebrews. Isn't even that the context of Hebrews, like most of the people I know who are totally in love with Jesus are so sensitive to the spirit are so sensitive to hear his voice that they're like almost in constant repentance. And, and, and that's the point here is that you're going to suffer persecution from the outside and to endure it and to go on, to keep on seeking him. And so anyways, he says like, for they, meaning earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. Again, how are you sharing his holiness? You're sharing his holiness by suffering for doing the right thing. I mean, that's, again, the context of this discipline. That's the context of the discipline. I just have to say it again and again, because he says he disciplines us for our good. Um, in other words, earthly fathers disciplined us like because they whatever they felt was right, which they were totally wrong sometimes and totally they're right because they're just human beings, which, of course, all of us need to forgive our fathers and release them for the way they disciplined us. That was improper or just completely wrong or brought from bad motives because a lot of people discipline their kids out of anger and not out of actually what's best for them. But that, that's a whole nother deal. But he says, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. So it's almost like part of sharing Jesus' holiness is being persecuted for his namesake. Like this is a very big deal to suffer persecution from, again, non-believers, make-believers, lukewarm believers, and Pharisees. This is where I see 
you know, almost all persecution coming from, of course, you can be attacked by the enemy and all of that. But I'm just talking about persecution from people um, that basically that you share in his holiness, meaning you're walking after God, suffering for the fact that you're walking after God, and you're actually sharing in that beautiful holiness that is that. In other words, holiness being walking after God, seeking his face, and literally directly suffering for it. I think we have this whole idea that somehow if we just walk righteously and live righteously and seek God with everything, that everything's just going to be fine, you know, that that everything's going to be honky-dory, and and anytime anything bad happens, we're like, well, I must be off of God's heart in some way for this negative thing to occur, and basically the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, no, that's really not it at all. It's like, yes, seeking God, you'll have way more good fruit. Yes, seeking God, there's way more victory and freedom. Yes, seeking God, there's blessing and awesome things that come your way simply because you're an intimacy with him and you're walking in righteous love. But we have to understand that sometimes persecution will come as a direct result, as a direct result of seeking him. And that's the kind of point that he's making here. And that can actually be called discipline. Um, because, and it's and it hurts and it's terrible. But I don't want to get people thinking this must mean I'm doing something wrong. So I want you to understand sometimes discipline comes in the form of persecution and it means you're actually doing something right. So I really want to get that across to you right now, that sometimes negative things happen, persecution comes, discipline of the Lord, because you're actually walking rightly, not because you're walking wrongly. And I have a whole teaching where to get into on that. But I think Hebrews 12 is making this point. And that's why he goes, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Of course, for the moment when when your parents are yelling at you and screaming at you and disowning you or or the Pharisee online is calling you a piece of poop. I mean, I'm getting attacked online right now just for my little shorts I'm posting. People are like, take people are yelling and getting all mad. That's not joyful. Like, not that it's that hurtful to me because I don't really care. But when you, you know, sometimes you'll have people that you care about, that you love coming after you're just being slimed, just being falsely accused because you're seeking the Lord. And that's not joyful. That's sorrowful. He goes, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And that's why I think this is so key to see what he's saying here. He's like, those who've been trained by it, by what? By the discipline of the the Lord. In what form? In the shape or the form of people persecuting you. So in other words, he's saying there's something about being persecuted for rightly seeking the Lord that trains you in a way that, that the writer of Hebrews says yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so that, that means there's peace, there's amazing things that come from righteousness because you suffered for his name's sake. So I want you to hear that. So, so many people are teaching almost exclusively that the discipline of the Lord is him spanking you and bringing horrible things into your life because you suck and need to somehow be made a better person. And I'm telling you, it, it's just... It's wrong. And I'm not saying that there aren't people that are suffering directly because of their sin, because that's absolutely true, and they need to repent. But what I'm saying is there's another way to look at it that I think is more profound and, in fact, more applicable to most people who are mature in Christ, and that is bad things come your way because you're seeking God, and that's part of the discipline, and that it will you can actually be trained by this, and it will yield peace and the fruit of righteousness. So therefore, he says, verse 12, so that's, that's what he's saying. So he's saying, because that is, can be the case, in other words, because um, those you know, seeking God can result in people persecuting you, which can sometimes be the discipline of the Lord and, and all of that, he goes, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. 
Do you see what he's saying? In other words, if discipline was God beating the crap out of you because you suck, like how could you strengthen your hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble? It's like you can't, you know, <laughs> you'd be, you just have to sit there and take it because that's not what he's saying at all. That's my point here. He says, therefore, because, but if you're being persecuted for his name's sake, if you're being attacked to get your eyes off of Jesus because you're in love with him, then you would need to strengthen your hands that are weak, which is why he says, therefore, strengthen your hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. In other words, he's like, I, I always think of this as like strengthen the hands that you lift before the Lord to praise him and the knees that you bow down to pray before him. It's like strengthen those things um, and make straight paths for your feet. So make sure you keep on walking straight. You see what I mean? So that the limb, which is lame, may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. And again, the limb, which is lame. In other words, the limb, the part of you that can't even walk because it's been beat up so much, may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. And again, the discipline of the Lord leads to healing. He's not saying God beat you so that you he actually knocked a limb out of place so you, you're out of joint and are going to be completely screwed. Like he, He's not saying that. He's saying the limb, which is lame, that was put out of joint by what? By attack, by persecution, by people coming against you. He's saying, keep going, keep your path straight, strengthen the way you're going directly towards Jesus. So he's saying, don't get your eyes off Jesus. Don't look away. Don't look to the right or to the left. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And in that way, the part of you that was wounded by the attack, whatever that happened to be in your life, whether it was people coming against you, people attacking you, depression, anxiety, I don't know what it would be. He says, keep your eyes on him so that that part that was wounded doesn't get out of joint, but rather is healed, which is why verse 14, he says, pursue peace with all men. So why would he say pursue peace with all men in, in the whole context of the Lord's discipline? Well, the reason he's saying that is he's saying, because all the people who are attacking you, you need to pursue peace with them. Don't come back, you know, an eye for an eye. Like <laughs> that was old covenant. You actually need to pursue peace with the people who are hurting you. And he said, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And that's interesting because it's like, and the sanctification of who? Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And again, how is one sanctified? One sanctified by the blood of Jesus. I, I think even by how this is worded, it's like pursue peace with all men and the sanctification for those men. So in other words, you need to be seeking the sanctification for the same men that you're pursuing peace with. I mean, this is powerful, without which no one will see the Lord. And again, you can't see the Lord without being sanctified. Well, being sanctified means you have to perform a bunch of stuff and get rid of a bunch of stuff and, and try and work your way to God. Like you've completely left the gospel. He's saying the sanctification that he made the entire point for the first 11 chapters of Hebrews is you only get sanctification by faith in Jesus alone. And he's saying that's the only way you can see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. See what I mean? So the context is like we're pursuing peace with all men and we're pursuing sanctification for them. In other words, we're praying that they also will put all their faith in Christ. So their sanctification for them and see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. So again, the whole idea is that um, we don't we, we make sure we love and we, we don't retaliate the people who are persecuting us. That's the whole point. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. See, the whole point here is that people are going to persecute you again for being righteous. That can be then the discipline of the Lord, like I've said over and over again. And the temptation temptation would be to attack back. You know, the temptation would be to get bitter and angry. And the writer of Hebrews says, look, do not do that. These people who are attacking you, don't let bitterness spring up because it'll cause a ton of trouble and it'll defile a whole bunch of people. 
In verse 16, he goes, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. In other words, he's basically saying, like, if you don't retaliate, if you don't let bitterness spring up, then no one will kind of want to go down that path of immorality and godlessness like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. So you guys keep walking righteously, keep loving, keep forgiving, don't get bitter. And that's verse 17. He says, for you know that even afterwards, meaning Esau, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance though he sought for it with tears. In other words, if you guys don't retaliate against these people seeking to hurt you and the ones who have come against you, then they, um, then they will have the opportunity to repent. But he's like, if you or, or you know, they'll be more apt to repent. Where then he says, if you attack them, if you come at them, if you allow this bitterness, he's like that even when they see the truth, they might not come to repentance because they hate you. So this is, this is hardcore. It's like saying like us as believers, if we treat people with love, if we forgive them, if we let things go, if we don't let bitterness come, that when light comes to people, they, they won't, they'll be more apt to repent because they won't look at believers and go, they're a bunch of hypocritic, unforgiving, you know, jerk offs. Like this is not, like he said, that's not what we want to do. So he want, we want to release that. Um, so then, and so we forgive them so other people can come to know Christ when they see the light and repent, just because they're being attacked mostly by Jews, and God wants all of them to come to him. So he says, verse 18, for you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and a whirlwind. In other words, he's referring to, you haven't come to the old covenant manifestation of God, which is what those things were, right? When Moses came to the mountain, he saw all that stuff. And to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which, um, which sound was such that those who heard beg that no further word could be spoken to, to them. Again, he's describing that whole encounter with God and Moses and the Israelites on the mountain. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast t- touched the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. He says, that's not your case, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. This is where you are right now. You are in Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This is who you are and where you've come. He's like, you didn't come to a scary mountain. You didn't come to all this craziness from the old covenant and how I present it. You actually came directly to the throne room of God. You actually came to sit in the general assembly. You're enrolled in heaven. Like you're like, it's like amazing. You come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And verse 24 to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood, which, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. That's why he says like that is so amazing. This is where you are. This is who you are. You're perfect. You're made holy. You're called into the righteousness of God. You're called into this great and beautiful, glorious thing called the kingdom of heaven. You're called to it. It is where you are right now. This is not old covenant. This is new covenant. You're beautiful. You're amazing. You're perfect and you're glorious. And so is Jesus. Step into it and come into it. Hear what he's saying. I'm almost in tears because I feel this for this generation so strong. And he says, Hebrews 12, 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. He's, they're like, he's like, don't turn away from this because it's so glorious. 
For if those who did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, in other words, like the Israelites refused God, they refused that intimacy when he warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. In other words, he's saying like, look, like he's telling us from heaven right now, don't refuse this offer. Don't refuse Jesus. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Don't look away from him. Verse 26, and his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Meaning like the entire spirit realm is going to be shaken. The entire earth is going to be shaken with his voice. That's how powerful this is. That is what we are a part of. We're part of the most powerful thing that has ever occurred in the history of the universe or ever will occur. And that's why verse 27, he says, this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. So he's basically talking about all the stuff, the old covenant sacrifice, which, by the way, in six years after the writing of this, give or take, is going to happen in 70 AD when everything gets destroyed. Because he goes, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, the physical temple, the physical Jerusalem. He's like, all that stuff is going to be destroyed, which it was, as of created things, so that those which cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, the actual real kingdom, the real temple, the real sacrifice, which is all found in Christ Jesus, Will remain and it will never ever be shaken. Verse 28 Therefore, since we have a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I want you to hear this so powerfully. He is so amazing. He's like, this is, let's offer him a sacrifice of purity of walking directly to the throne room of God because with awe and gratitude saying, thank you so much that we are free. Thank you so much. You made me perfect. Thank you so much that you are King of Kings. Lord of Lords, thank you so much that your glory is all around us all the time. And we get to approach you with awe and gratitude, realizing that you will burn up anything that isn't right and pure because you're a consuming fire. So, man, we just finished Hebrews chapter 12. I can't wait till chapter 13. Oh, my goodness. I will talk to you guys soon about chapter 13. We're going to wrap this up and jump into another book. And I'm not even sure what book that will be yet. But holy smokes, um, man, love you guys. Lift his name. Keep your eyes fixed on him. It's only going to get crazier, more awesome from here. Thank you for listening to Unleash Ministries podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by an encounter with the Father's love poured out through his word. If you would desire to bless this ministry financially, please visit www.unleashedchurch.org and click on the give link. Thank you.